everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I am here to bring you the weekend warm-up podcast. This is the Bavarian Football Works show, where we go over the biggest events of the week. And as always, this week was a little bit crazy. Uh, things are unraveling a bit here at the end of the week for Bayern Munich, and we will touch on that in a bit. But I uh, just want to get back to telling all of you guys, uh, just want to say really quickly that we appreciate how much uh, you guys have been chipping in and listening and uh, downloading the podcast that we've been putting out. Uh, can't say enough thanks to those of you who are loyal listeners and those of you who just pop in every once in a while. We appreciate it all. So just wanted to get that in there quickly before we jump into the Bayern Munich news. And where else could we start except the grand robbery that took place in France this week with the Ballon d'Or, where Robert Lewandowski somehow finished second to Lionel Messi. Now, let me get this off my chest first. I am probably one of those people who fall in line with the thought that Lionel Messi is the best player of all time through any era. I honestly couldn't say enough things about his game, creativity, his speed, the way he bursts, uh, just everything about his shot. There's not a single part to his game that you could knock or really find a fault in, okay? Let's just get that out of the way. But for the last two years, he has not been the best player on earth. And that's not to say that he hasn't been good. It's not to say he hasn't been great. He just hasn't been as good as Robert Lewandowski. And I think that's where the big problem is. And, you know, of course on our site, we have a pro Byron slant and therefore have a pro Robert Lewandowski slant. But I think... We looked at this objectively, right? Uh, I don't think I would have a problem stating that Lionel Messi was better than Robert Lewandowski in any particular year. In fact, if you would have asked me that question any season up until the last two, I would have definitely said that. But 2020, for France football not to award uh, the Ballon d'Or, was, it was nonsense. It was total nonsense. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to get into a conspiracy theory about why they would do that, but it's pretty obvious that when there was no other choice to, to be able to screw Robert Lewandowski over, they just canceled the award. So that, that was a joke. But to get to this year and to get to a season where Robert Lewandowski broke Gerd Muller's record, won the Bundesliga, uh, you know, they won the Club World Cup, I don't see how, not that that matters that much, but I just, you know, in the end, people will say like, well, you know, when individual awards don't matter, but at the same time, not only was Lewandowski so important to what his team was able to accomplish, I mean, absolutely vital to those championships we just mentioned, uh, but he was also just an, an unstoppable force. Uh, and, and, you know, had he been healthy last spring, I don't think there's any doubt that Bayern Munich would have been right on course to secure a second straight Champions League title. You know, unfortunately, injuries got in the way of that, not just for Lewandowski, but for some others. But in the end, Robert Lewandowski was the best player on earth. And this isn't any type of fanboyism. This is not any type of thing. Like, I've been the first person over the years to to criticize Lewandowski because you know, in 2018, he was a jerk, <laughs> not just to his teammates, but to the media, how he was basically treating the club at the time. 
And one thing I can say about him from that, it seemed like he learned a lot throughout that process when he wanted to move and ultimately did not get that move. I think he realized how good he had it at Bayern Munich, how good his teammates were. And it also helped him elevate his game and embrace having a bigger, more important role on a team. And uh, I do think that it helped his game grow and led him to the point that he got to the 20, got to 2020, he got to 2021, and he was the best player on earth. And right now, this season, you know, his form has not been at its best, but you'd be hard-pressed to find, what, two or three players that are better than him right now? There might not still be anyone better than him. Uh, And he hasn't been at his best. So when he does get 100% in the form, I just think about really what he's going to be like. And and I'm not knocking his game this year. I think he's been great. I just think he's going to take his game to another level that we still haven't seen yet for this season. But yes, uh, I fall right in the camp of people who thought that was ridiculous. It was a robbery and it was just stupid. Now, I will give France football some credit for the fact that now they are allegedly rethinking uh, about ripping away that 2020 award and potentially uh, awarding it now to Lewandowski. But still, uh, you you don't get that much credit when you do the things that you do. France football should be ashamed of what happened. All the messy fanboys out there who have harassed people like Ronan Murphy and many others on social media, I mean, get a life. I mean, listen, it's okay to be a fan, but it's obsessive. Uh, and, And the way that you people talk to other people, it's, you know, or tweet or Instagram, whatever you guys are doing. It's it's stupid. Just stop. I mean, it's really pathetic that you're that into another human being. Like, listen, you can be a fan of someone, but for the people that are obsessed, take a step back, reevaluate your life choices. It's not all that important to be that much of a fan of one particular person, okay? It's not even okay to be that big of a fan of a particular team. If you're that obsessed about it, it's unhealthy. So get some help. (laughs) So I guess that's where we transition awkwardly out of the Robert Lewandowski talk to even more Robert Lewandowski talk. So once again, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Pini Zahavi is up to his old antics. Uh, And you know exactly what I mean by that because this week we started to see Oh, Robert Lewandowski is unhappy stories. Oh, Robert Lewandowski wants to go to Real Madrid. Oh, Chelsea's thinking about Robert Lewandowski. And soon enough, we'll have PSG and Juventus. We'll have them all on the Robert Lewandowski train. We all know how this ends. Robert Lewandowski is not going anywhere. One, as we saw uh, in a Bill report earlier today, uh, Bayern Munich's not inclined to let him go. Why would they let the best player on earth right now go? It's just silly. Uh, I don't think that there's any plan for Bayern Munich to get rid of Lewandowski. Now, that said, we also did see in the build report that Pini Zahavi is eyeing uh, spring 22 as the time to sit down and have negotiations with Bayern Munich on a contract extension. Lewandowski's age is somewhat prohibitive right now in terms of getting a long-term deal done. But what should Bayern do in this situation? They're clearly at a transitional point, right? They have some good young players, but let's be honest, their strongest players, their core players, are getting a little long in the tooth. And you're talking about Robert Lewandowski, Thomas Muller, 
Manuel Neuer. I mean, those are just three right there. Uh, when you look at the rest of the roster, you do have those good mid-career players like Yashua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka, uh, Serge Gnabry, these are Leroy, Leroy Sané. These are players that you can and want to build around. But those players right now aren't pushing you over the edge like Lewandowski, Muller, and Neuer can. And, you know, how do you measure someone's value like Lewandowski? What is he worth? I think that's exactly what Pini Zahavi is going to find out when they talk next spring. Now, I do not think that Bayern is going to sell off Lewandowski. I think the only way he would leave is if he absolutely was absolutely told them, I will not come back. And if he does say that, there could be a slim, 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 slim chance that Bayern Munich would opt to sell him a year early rather than see him leave on a free transfer. Now, why would they do that? Well, obviously to make some money, but two, as we've seen with the recent COVID-19 restrictions, Bayern once again will not be making a lot of money this year. So every player that they are letting go for free, which could potentially be Quentin Tolisso, Nicholas Sula, it's a hit to their pocketbook because they can't just have assets, valuable assets leave. And I think, you know, despite the fact I don't think that they'll let Lewandowski go and I don't think the club has any intention of doing it, if it gets to the point where Lewandowski determines he will not sign another contract with Bayern Munich, it will be something the club will have to look look toward. Now, they could also, like I said, just decide, you know, hell with it. We're going to keep him. He's the best player on earth. And, you know, when he leaves for free, that's just the price of doing business. That could happen. I think that that's probably a more likely scenario than them selling him off at this point just because he's so valuable to what they do. Um, Lewandowski is just so is so good at so many things. He's so important to the team. Um, and he would be that way if he went to Real Madrid, which was, like we talked about, one of the clubs that he was linked to. And also Chelsea, who... Honestly, it didn't make much sense with Chelsea because they have so many attacking players. You know, you would say, well, obviously, they'll just make room for Lewandowski. Yeah, no doubt. He's the best player on earth. But, um, you know, they're already just overflowing. And, and the name we saw with an attached swap deal for Lewandowski was, of course, Timo Werner. And me being the Timo time guy, uh, that kind of puts me in an awkward spot. Like, the way I look at things with Werner is obviously the move to England was, it was wrong. Listen, he won a Champions League. That kind of memory and that kind of thing you can't replace. It's invaluable, and I'm sure that he'll never forget it, even if he spent half the year being bashed by most of England uh, and and millions more on social media. Uh, But I think when it comes down to it with Werner, he's going to come back to Germany. He's also been linked to Borussia Dortmund. Um, Oddly enough, he's been linked to uh, Barcelona and Atletico Madrid as well. But I do think Werner has a home, and uh, and that's in Germany. And I think that he uh, could find his way back to play under Julian Nagelsmann because, let's face it, for all the talk that we've had over the years about Bayern needs a true target man, a true striker, that's all under the assumption that Bayern's playing a 4-2-3-1. This Bayern attack under... Julian Nagelsmann is not a 4-2-3-1 by any means. This is a back-three-based formation. To me, it's a 3-4-2-1, and I don't see why Werner couldn't play one of, any one of those top three positions, especially with the way players like Thomas Muller and Leroy Sané and Robert Lewandowski 
how they all interchange and interact, I don't see why you couldn't put Timo Werner in that mix. Uh, granted, in this scenario, Lewandowski and Werner would be swapping spots. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I think, if anything, if, if Lewandowski was really going to make that move to Chelsea, uh, you know, sure, I'm sure Bayern would, would take a swap if they absolutely had to. I just, I just don't think it's happening. And uh, if he was going to do it, it wouldn't be until his contract ran out. So while that was a little fun to look at and it was kind of entertaining to discuss, uh, I don't see you know Lewandowski moving to Chelsea. I don't see him moving to Real Madrid right now, especially because Real Madrid has some younger players, uh, you know, really in their crosshairs. And of course, one being Erling Haaland, who we will talk about in a little bit, and Kylian Mbappe. So, you know, we've seen the scenarios out there with Real Madrid uh, trying to secure both players. And, you know, if they're getting both of them, there's virtually no shot they'd have anything left over to spend on Robert Lewandowski. So let's be honest. If you are Real Madrid and you're looking to create your next generation, you're probably not doing it with you know, an older veteran player like Lewandowski. You're probably looking to invest in Erling Haaland or Kylian Mbappe or both. So from that perspective with Lewandowski's rumors, I just don't think there's anything to them at this point. Uh, Bayern Munich does not want to sell him. And I think that that's one thing that we can all look at <clears throat> and say that it's just not going to happen. And finally, no, well, not finally, but one of the, the other big, big, big stories this week is obviously Dirk Klasker. And if you listen to our preview show, you'll see that we've been ramping up the coverage on this because we feel like on the site, this is a huge game. Uh, one of the biggest things that I think about this match for Bayern Munich is they're going in shorthanded. Uh, you know, they have no Joshua Kimmich. They have no Marcel Sabitzer. They have no Bunasar and Mikel Cuisance. Okay, okay. I, I threw those two in there. They are, they're not probably not playing, but you know what I mean. That was, you know, they wouldn't have been a factor anyway. But the news this week that was really concerning, uh, aside of Josip Stanisic, who probably wouldn't have played a big role in the game anyway, going out for a few weeks with a torn thigh muscle, was that Leon Goretzka has a, a hip injury. Now, with Joshua Kimmich already out, that is a huge gaping hole in the center of the park for Bayern Munich. And while personally I like the games of Quarantan Tolisso and Jamal Musiala, I am not sure at this point that that's the best possible midfield to face Borussia Dortmund. Now, listen, I really like Musiala. I rate him so highly, and I think he's versatile and creative, and I think he could play any number of positions. I think he could play wing, striker, the 10, the 8, and I don't even have a problem with trying him at the 6. It would be a lot easier to stomach if this was against, I don't know, Mainz or uh, Reuter Firth or someone like that just because this is Dortmund, and Dortmund's going to be totally amped up because they see that Byron's wounded right now. They see that this is their opportunity to get on top of Bayern. And, you know, this is one of those mentality games, right? Like, if you have a true champion mentality and your opponent is weakened, you want to crush them. If Borussia Dortmund can't come out and at least get a point off of Bayern Munich in this match, it's going to tell you a lot about that squad. And, you know, we've seen all the talk over the years about Marco Royce and how his mentality is a bit of an issue well, as much as some of us like me might want to stiff arm that thought process, 
even I might have to walk that back if Dortmund can't manage this match. Uh, to miss Kimmich and Goretzka would be incredibly damning for Bayern Munich. And it's not a knock on Tolisso. I, I, listen, I like Tolisso as well. Do I think he's as good as he was before his knee injury? Absolutely not. Do I think he's still a good player? I do. I think he's a starting level player at most clubs, just not Bayern Munich. Uh, and as I said about Musiala, I'm, I'm confident in him. But this is a tough way to, to really be thrown into the fire as part of a double pivot uh, especially with the way that Bayern's formation has played. And, you know, I've been the one beating this drum that this is not a back four all season. No matter what graphic they put up before the game, this is a back three with two attacking wing backs. Uh, one usually attacks much more than the other, that one being Alfonso Davies, and the other is typically whoever Julian Nagelsmann opts to throw out on the right side, whether that's Pavard or Nicolas Sula or... Kingsley Coman, like we've seen it all, right? Like he's basically using his wings, his wing backs, his center backs, his wing backs, right backs, wing everyone. He doesn't even care. He'll use anybody out there. He's going to throw Tom Adams out there next. But, you know, it's a situation where if you've got that kind of thing going on and then you've got some uncertainty in the middle of the pitch, guys that haven't not only not played the position as frequently but have never played together, uh, in a match, that's that's going to be tough. So when we look at this and we see the problem, we automatically, at least me, I, I'm seeing a, a tough match here for Bayern Munich. Um, and, you know, listen, Dortmund's banged up as well. They're not operating at 100%. Holland is said to be limited to 60 minutes. You know, Torgan Hazard was battling some things. Uh, Bellingham has been in and out with injuries. So this is this is going to be a tough battle for both teams but this is this is and should be a statement game for Borussia Dortmund if they can't jump on top of Bayern Munich here I don't think they can stake any claim to a league title anytime soon it's just not in the cards if you can't take advantage of this situation and from their perspective honestly it's it's unfortunate that Erling Haaland is is banged up because uh you know we've seen Dio Upamakano really struggle against big physical strikers, and there is nobody bigger and more physical than Erling Haaland in the box. And he, uh, you know, he's a dynamic talent. I, I think when Bayern has to look at defending him and knowing that they're not going to have uh, a midfield that has anyone that's really defensively inclined, I think that they're really going to have to look at uh, Nicholas Sula being that person that's held most accountable. In, the, in that back three, and I'm going to keep continuing to beat this drum that it's a 3-4-2-1, Nicholas Sewell is going to have to be the player that steps up. Uh, we've seen Upamecano struggles. Uh, Luca Hernandez, while feisty, while fast, um, and while probably maybe even technically uh, with the way he plays and being the best positional defender that they have, um, He's also not the, the biggest lad out there. I think this is, a, this is a match where you have to look to Sula to kind of play the role of stopper on Holland. And I don't think anybody can really stop Holland. I, I think that Sula gives you the best opportunity to slow him down and hopefully he can get enough support from Upamecano and Hernandez to make that happen. But this is just going to be a fascinating overall matchup in so many ways. 
And, you know, I like the, the job that, that our guys did with the preview show. And, uh, you know, we're going to try and get the post-game show with multiple voices on it as well so that you can hear a couple of different perspectives on the game. I know I personally will not be one of them. I'll be watching the game on delay. So, you know, it's kind of tough. I'm not one of those anti-spoiler guys. So I'll be, you know, you know, I'm sure I'll know the result before I watch the match, but I always like to watch the match to, to build and form my own opinion. So even though I might know the score and I might hear some of the things from the people on our staff, I always like to kind of have my own take on the, on the match and uh, deliver that to you guys so that you're not just getting regurgitated garbage or anything like that. Um, you know, to me, this is, this is a fun match. This is one of those, you know, this is the match of the Hinronda for me. Uh, I've been waiting for this. Uh, unfortunately, Byron's banked up, but I'm really, really excited to see how Robert Lewandowski comes out and approaches this game after getting snubbed by France football. I'm really interested to see how Thomas Muller reacts and what kind of leadership he provides, knowing that there's no Kimmich. There's potentially no Goretzka there. Uh, you know, I- I'm very intrigued to see how Nagelsmann handles this, to be honest. Uh, you know, like I said, if, if I'm him, uh, my biggest spot right now, if I know that I'm using Musiala and Toliso as my double pivot, the spot that worries me is right back. And while me personally, I don't have an issue with Benjamin Pavar, uh, well, at least I don't have as much an issue as most people do. Um, you know, I get that. Nagelsmann views that position a little differently. Maybe Pavar doesn't have the exact skill set or the exact uh, features that he wants out of that position. Uh, I'm very interested to see what he does. Does he go with Pavar, who can maybe be that right wing back that provides you with a little more defensive stability, knowing that Alfonso Davies on the left side is going, going to be bombing up the field and creating havoc on offense, but probably won't be getting back much on defense. Um, you know, do you do you opt for that, or does Nagelsmann go with the all-out blitz? And what I mean by that, does he throw Kingsley Coman or Serge Gnabry at that right wing back position and just say, "Screw it, I'm going with my three center backs. I'm gonna maybe have Corinton Toliso sit a little bit deeper than usual, and maybe support them a little bit. But I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna try and win this game by scoring goals." I wouldn't be shocked if Nagelsmann did that, to be honest. Uh, he's that kind of coach that might want to focus on overwhelming the opposition with his with his own offense. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if he goes out and we see Gnabry or Coman at that right wing back position. You know, earlier in the season, we saw Nagelsmann talk about using Gnabry in that type of role. And recently, he he's used Kingsley Coman out there. If he does that... It'll be, you know, there's going to be potential for, for fireworks both ways. I mean, we will see Bayern Munich absolutely uh, be in a position to control the game with its offense and probably keep a lot of pressure on the Borussia Dortmund defense. But it will also leave Bayern Munich extremely susceptible to counterattacks. And we've all seen over the past, what, how many years has this been going on with the counterattacks, four, five, six, that they are... They, Bayern Munich struggles the most when they face a quick counter-attacking team. And when you have a player like Holland who's big, physical, and extremely fast, it's a tough enough matchup when you have a, you know 11 players focused on him. 
you might only have four. You might have the three center backs and, and the goalkeeper. So, uh, you know, we'll see how this goes. Uh, I, I'm not as big a fan as some of the players on Borussia Dortmund's roster as, uh, as some others. Like, I still kind of rate Julian Brandt. I know that he's not been his best. You know, I like Torgan Hazard, uh, obviously Mats Hummels, but, like, I'm not really sold uh, on um, Danielle Malin yet. Uh, I like Bellingham, but I know he's been banged up. Uh, you know, but they're, this isn't one of those Dortmund rosters that's just overflowing with talent. They're very good, but I don't believe that this is one that's going to overwhelm you uh, and, and wear you down, or at least wear down a team like Bayern Munich with its depth. So if I was going to make a prediction on this game, which I will in the weekend warm-up blog post, I can't bring myself to pick Dortmund not because I dislike them or anything like that. It's because I need to be, I need, I am, I am essentially the Missouri right now. I'm the show me state. I need, I need them to show me that they have this championship type mentality. And it's, it's just so weird because I really like, I rate Holland extremely high. If you've read anything, I've been the one calling for Bayern Munich to bring in Holland uh, you know, that to do anything and make it work and you can play Lewandowski and Holland together and it'll work. I, I'm that guy. Um, and I like Marco Royce. I think if not for injuries, we'd have a, a different perspective and a different line of thinking. At least many people would on Marco Royce. And I know that his mentality has come under fire quite a bit and probably rightfully so, but this is a way he could begin to dispel that myth uh, about his mentality if he can help lead his team to a victory in this match. But it won't be easy for Dortmund. In fact, I don't think they'll win. I'm seeing a 2-1 Bayern Munich victory. Uh, I do think Holland will break through and get one. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he got two, to be honest. But I'm thinking Julian Nagelsmann has something up his sleeve and I do think he's going to try and overwhelm Dortmund with its offense, and it might not result in a ton of goals, but it's going to res- it's really going to result in a ton of opportunities and a ton of chances and just a ton of pressure, which will keep Dortmund on its heels just enough to not be able to mount much on their own. So I think that's where I'm going to leave this episode off. I'll stick with that 2-1 prediction. Uh, we'll see how it goes. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, You know, it would be a lot more fun than watching Robert Lewandowski get screwed out of the Ballon d'Or. So, uh, yeah, that's the last time I'll bring it up. But, um, hey, thanks again for listening. Uh, Once again, it's been Chuck Smith. I appreciate every download you guys have, every listen to the podcast. Uh, You know, I think that you guys are the best audience out there. And, uh, you know, drop me some comments. Reach out to me on social media. I'm always interacting. So uh, you can get me at the barrel blog on twitter you can get our site at bavarian fb works you can get tom at tommy adams 71 you can get i need no name at bfwinnn once again thanks for listening and have a blast this weekend enjoy the match and get on our site and uh tell us not only what you think about what we're writing but tell us what you think of the match get on our live blog hit us on twitter and hit our post-match coverage We know that uh, you'll have a lot to say just like we will. And we'll see you next time.